Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. and along with my brother Rick, we want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving week. And Rick, uh, on the program today, it will be about Thanksgiving, but we have our own Thanksgiving plans, don't we, this year? That is true, Jimmy. This is Thanksgiving. It's one of our family's favorite times of the year. Of course, all that food. It's a bittersweet Thanksgiving for us because it's the first Thanksgiving without our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, the man that you listen to on this radio program for over 20 years. But we know where he is. We know he's in a better place. And we're continuing on the ministry with this program right now. Yes, and you'll be doing some things with Mom, and uh, you'll be celebrating at our Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I will be here in San Antonio, Texas with my family enjoying Thanksgiving. Well, we've got a great program today, along with our usual Ken Timmerman, Dave Dolan, uh, Sharam Hadian, uh, a friend from the past, Pastor Paul Blair will be coming in. He's an expert on the first Thanksgiving that was celebrated with the Pilgrims. And then, of course, our legacy series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, our father, uh, speaking about the book of Daniel, the times of the Gentiles. Well, let's get started, Rick, with our first uh, with Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right. We do have Ken Timmerman with us, our normal broadcast partner who talks to us about geopolitical affairs. Ken, do we still find you in the south of France? Uh, yes, indeed, Rick. Uh, we've been blessed to be here during the olive harvest and the wonderful uh, late season here. Uh, and it also lets me stay in touch with uh, contacts here in Europe. Sounds great. Well, Ken, let's go ahead and get started. In, in our first uh, topic, the Ukraine has told European Union leaders to prepare for war with Russia. Well, this is pretty serious, and uh, it follows a uh, extensive Russian buildup of troops on Ukraine's borders since actually the month of March and April. We talked about this earlier this year when uh, both the U.S. president, uh, the head of NATO, and the head of and our secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin, all of them told Russia the United States would defend the sovereignty of Ukraine. Absolutely extraordinary, given that Ukraine is not a member of NATO. We were treating them like a member of NATO. So now the Russians have not withdrawn those troops, although they claim that they're not right up on the border, and they claim also that they have the right to move troops anywhere they want within their borders, which is not true according to the security arrangements for Europe. But nevertheless, the Ukrainian deputy foreign minister just this week is now telling his NATO, his French and German counterparts in particular, that they have to prepare today for the event of a Russian military assault on Ukraine, because if and when it happens, they won't have time to launch preparations. So he's saying, look, the Russians are there. Uh, they're on our borders. Uh, we can see hostile action. They are moving tanks and heavy artillery close to our borders. Uh, so uh, this is a direct quote from this foreign minister. He's saying, please do the preparatory work now because if the military scenario happens, there simply will be no time. Well, this seems to be going along with a strategy that Russia has that all the former Soviet Union satellites, they, Russia will not let them enter into greater Europe or the European Union. That's, that's correct, and that is that is a red line for Vladimir Putin. I have a uh, front uh, a cover story coming out in Newsmax magazine in December about this. Uh, it is Putin's red line, and his comment uh, is that, you know, Gee, if, if Ukraine becomes part of uh, NATO, that would reduce the missile fly time to Moscow to, say, eight or ten minutes. He said it's unacceptable for the Russians. 
Uh, it's a bit of an exaggeration because uh, missiles could reach Russia from other parts of Europe, too, in the same amount of time. But still, uh, what his point is, he will not tolerate the near-abroad countries, those countries that had been uh, an integral part of the Soviet Union, not the Soviet bloc, but the Soviet Union itself, so Ukraine, Moldova, and Azerbaijan, and, and Belarus, he will not uh, allow those countries, Georgia as well, to become part of NATO or part of the European Union. And he's made it very clear. Remember, he invaded Georgia in 2008. They still uh, occupy, Russian troops still occupy uh, a, a good part of the Caucasus Mountains. I was there uh, a year and a half ago. And in 2014, they uh, invaded Ukraine and seized Crimea. And their troops are there now in a very aggressive posture. Um, and this is, this is serious business. It certainly is. Well, moving from Russia and Europe, let's go to the Middle East. And Israel is holding naval exercises with some of the Gulf states that it signed agreements with in the Abraham Accords. Absolutely extraordinary, isn't it? And it's the type of thing that never would have happened without the direct intervention of President Trump and Jared Kushner, who, who pursued these secret negotiations. And now uh, you have not just naval exercises, which are taking place uh, this week, but you've got also um, Israel holding Air Force exercises that are being attended by the uh, chief of the Air Force of the United Arab Emirates. Absolutely incredible. Jordan has sent planes. Bahrain is taking part in these naval exercises, as is the UAE, the United States, and Britain. Uh, I, this is an important gesture also on the U.S. part, because the Biden administration has uh, really been blowing lukewarm on the countries of the Abraham Accords uh, as part of their overall rejection of anything done by President Trump. So the fact that they're that the U.S. is actually participating in these exercises is almost as significant as the participation of Bahrain and the UAE. Bahrain and the UAE have a direct interest. They want to show that this, um, uh, this new relationship with Israel also has a military aspect to it, very, very important for them. They're worried about Iran, about the Iranian regime, and about their nuclear weapons program. But it's also important now to see that the U.S. is finally coming to, not to the aid of Israel, but coming to support Israel instead of, uh, instead of the hostility we were seeing in the early months of the Biden administration. Well, it certainly seems to be amazing to me. And yes, it is mind-blowing. And you look at it and you think, as much as uh, peace in the Middle East and, and the fate of Israel and its Arab allies has occupied the minds of the world, this is flying under the radar and it seems to be a political statement. Uh, it, it absolutely is flying under the radar, and it ought to be front-page news. It's, it's a huge deal. And obviously the Iranians are very upset about this. Uh, the Russians are a bit worried as well because they have a naval base in Syria. They have an air force base in Syria, and they could be curtailed in op from operating in the Mediterranean by uh, this larger alliance centered on Israel, the United States, and the United Arab Emirates. Well, you mentioned Iran, and that is my next question. Iran is returning to the negotiating table to ease sanctions and restart the, uh, their nuclear program that many say they haven't even stopped. What can you tell us about that situation? Well, first, you're correct. They have not stopped their nuclear program, and they announced last week that they have now enriched over 60 uh, kilograms of, um, I believe it's 60 kilograms of uh, highly enriched uranium. That's enough for about three bombs worth, okay? They now have enough 
in highly enriched uranium for about three nuclear warheads. That is an extraordinary uh, accomplishment on their part, but it's also incredibly dangerous, and it makes you wonder uh, what's the point of going back to these nuclear negotiations. The, the 2015 uh, agreement allowed Iran to build these new generation centrifuges, which is what has allowed them to, to uh, enrich uranium so quickly. They can uh, enrich uranium, uranium as quickly with 1,000 of these new centrifuges as they could with 10,000 of the older ones. So they're 10 times faster. Uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's a big capability that they have now installed. Uh, about a year ago, there was a, an attack on Fordo, one of these enrichment facilities, probably by Israel. The Iranians certain think, certainly think so. They now have that facility back up and operating. They have not allowed the International Atomic Energy Agency to come in and inspect it. They've not allowed the IAEA to update their cameras, which are not working there any longer. So they are essentially enriching in the, the dark. And coming back to the negotiating table is basically uh, their way of snookering the United States. In the beginning of the Biden administration, the, the State Department was saying, we will not go back to the negotiating table with Iran unless... They do this and this and this, in particular, that they adhere to the limits of the 2015 agreement. The Iranians said, forget it. We're not going to do any of those things, and they did not, and here we are. It's a sign of weakness. The Iranians can smell it. So can the Russians and the Chinese. Well, that's our final stop on this world tour. We went from Russia and the European Union to the Middle East, and now finally to China. And they were in the news this week with a virtual summit with President Biden. Uh, and I know Taiwan was... Definitely uh, a subject of interest there. What can you tell us about that and the importance of that summit? Well, relations between the U.S. and China have taken a dramatic turn for the worse over the past um, uh, six to seven months under the Biden administration. Uh, uh, President Trump was always on speaking terms with President Xi, and we did not have these direct military confrontations that we've been having over the past eight months. The um, uh, the the um, uh, Chinese have been threatening Taiwan uh, with military flyovers, with the naval uh, confrontations. They've been challenging U.S. and British ships in the area. These are things that they did not do when President Trump uh, was in the Oval Office. And I think President Biden is, is trying to reestablish his credibility uh, to show uh, the Chinese that he is uh, going to stand firm, that he will honor America's longstanding commitments to Taiwan. You know, the Taiwan Act goes back to 1979, where we uh, agreed to, to, to maintain Taiwan's qualitative edge of weaponry against communist China to continue arms sales, and the U.S. is continuing arms sales to Taiwan. Uh, but So this three-and-a-half uh, summit, uh, virtual summit, is tremendously important. Uh, we don't know fully what was said. We've gotten the readout from both sides and this talk about Taiwan where the President Xi talked tough on Taiwan, and, and we're, set, we're told that uh, uh, President Biden said we will respect our agreements to Taiwan. But, uh, you know, I think we have to give it a couple of more weeks, uh, Rick, to see what was really said and to see if the Chinese are going to back away from some of this extremely provocative military behavior. Well, Ken, there are so many concerning events taking place in this world, and you do a great job of putting those events in context and explaining to us what's going on. We appreciate you doing that from your vantage point there in the south of France. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Rick. It's always a pleasure to be with you. God bless.
I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Britain delivers a fresh blow to Lebanon, advising against all but essential travel to the crisis-worn nation. Last week, a United Nations envoy described Lebanon as a rapidly failing state. Pierre Hosni with Horizons International says Lebanese Christians feel the pinch as much as everyone else. As Horizons visits homes and refugee camps, most meet someone open to the love of Jesus. So even as Lebanon's government fails its people, pray the church would grow. And India opened its borders to vaccinated tourists this week after 18 months of closure. The Indian government hopes it'll boost the economy after COVID-19 stress. John Podaiti says Bibles for the World looks forward to traveling more freely in the country and reconnecting with its partners. He's visited India since the pandemic began, but restrictions make work difficult. Now, he's hoping to ramp up deliveries of Bibles, New Testaments, and Gospels of John around the country. Pray for opportunity. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm with Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. And we're back here on Prophecy Today with our good friend Dave Dolan and our regularly scheduled segment, the Middle East News Update. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm well, uh, Rick. We had some snow where I'm at, so I'm going to be shoveling. Okay, well, you know, we don't have snow yet here in Tennessee where our broadcast headquarters are, but uh, and not really looking forward to it either, to be honest with you, when we do. But uh, let's get started in our first subject that we'd like to look at. And this is in light of the previous report that you heard in an earlier segment with Ken Timmerman that uh, Iran may have as many as three nuclear warheads available. And I'd like to ask you the question from the Israeli perspective. And Bennett says, no matter what happens with these Iranian talks, Israel will defend itself. Well, yes, indeed, Rick. Uh, he made that statement to Prime Minister on Tuesday. He was up in the north along with the Defense Minister, Benny Gantz, and they were uh, attending a IDF drill that's been going on up in the north involving around 3,000 soldiers. And um, after he met with some of the commanders, he stressed that the northern front was active He said, we're dealing with Iran and its affiliates in Lebanon and Syria. And as you said, he said, no matter what happens between Iran and the superpowers, we're certainly concerned about the fact that there is enough toughness in the face of the Iranian violations that there is not enough toughness. And therefore, basically, Iran's getting away with murder is what he was saying. And uh, But he said, we are following everything, but we are ready to defend ourselves. And uh, this comes as Iran makes more gains in the region, Rick. Uh, uh, Saudi general announced on Thursday 
that they were pulling all Saudi and UAE forces back from the Red Sea in Yemen. The Saudis are there, of course, fighting the Houthi rebels that uh, are backed by Iran. And suddenly he announced, we're pulling our forces out of the coastal area, which will turn it over to Iran effectively. And that came just uh, a week after the Saudis and the United Arab Emirates participated in a U.S. naval drill. I mentioned that last week in the Red Sea area that was based out of a Egyptian port. So um, it looks like Iran is making gains, and the Biden administration's policy change moving back towards these talks with Iran has definitely weakened the Abraham Accords and uh, weakened uh, the American stance in the area, which means Israel also feels that, and that's of concern in Jerusalem. Well, amidst all of this kind of uh, back and forth between the countries in the region there, I've heard of reports of Arab spy chiefs uh, basically meeting together in kind of a clandestine meeting in Cairo. What could be going on there? And, and, and I believe the U.S. led that, did they not? Well, that's what the reports are. It's uh, several Israeli media outlets reporting that, that the CIA organized a meeting in Cairo uh, between the foreign ministers of Saudi Arabia and uh, Syria. And the object, apparently, is to begin to bring Syria back into the Arab world fold. There's even uh, reports that the Arab League may invite uh, Bashar Assad, the president of Syria, to the next Arab League meeting, uh, which will also be held in Cairo. This is a significant uh, move. It means that the Saudis have given up on their previous demands, or it signals anyway, that they're giving up on their demands that Syria cut its ties with Iran before um, relations would be fully restored between the Arab countries and Syria. It seems like they're going back on that, and the United States seems to be doing that as well. So again, the Biden administration seems to be aiding Iran and eroding um, the moderate Arab uh, world uh, in terms of their stand vis-a-vis Iran, and that all looks bad for Israel because, of course, they're counting on Saudi Arabia's support if there is a strike on Iran's nuclear program. And uh, the UAE and Bahrain, these partners of theirs, they're looking for that. And it seems like the U.S. is undermining that if these reports are true that these uh, secret meetings took place. Well, let's move from the Gulf states. And I'd like to ask you a two-part question about Turkey and their relationship with Israel, the country of Turkey and Israel. And and the reason this comes up is this past week there was an Israeli couple, seems like they were tourists, and they photographed the uh, the president's house in Turkey, which many tourists did that same exact thing. They were in prison. They were let go. But it's the second part of my question, first, if you can comment on that incident, but secondly, what does this mean uh, for basically the, the path of uh, Israeli-Turkey relations? Well, it doesn't uh, bode well, that's for sure. A couple from the city of Moda'in uh, named the Oknins, they were just up uh, as tourists in Turkey in Istanbul at the time. They're both bus drivers, actually, for Israel's national Agid bus carrier and uh, tourists. And they were taking pictures from a public tower that hundreds do every hour. And uh, included in one of their pictures was a close-up of the president's uh, palace there. And um, 
they sent it to their kids in Israel, and they somebody posted it on Facebook, and the police showed up at their hotel and arrested them, and it charged them with espionage. And uh, a, for a government minister on Tuesday confirmed that they were being charged with espionage. So it looked very, very bad, but uh, Prime Minister Bennett, and other senior Israeli leaders pledged that they would do everything in their power to get them released from the Turkish jail. They were in separate jails, actually, not together. And they appealed to Erdogan, the Turkish leader, to release them. And on Thursday, suddenly it happens. But it shows that Israeli tourists in some of these countries that don't have great relations, and Israel uh, hasn't had an ambassador in Turkey for over a decade, and the same with Turkey in Israel, they have pretty sour relations because of Erdogan uh, turning towards Iran and uh, turning towards Hamas, backing them strongly in the May War, for instance. And this isn't the first incident of tourists being apprehended and accused of spying. Of course, uh, several Americans are in the same situation, have been in the same situation. So it seems to be a policy of Erdogan to pick people up and create some problems. But thank the Lord, they did get released, this couple, and they're back with their families. From your time in Israel, the relationship between Turkey and Israel has been on a slow, deteriorating path, has it not, especially since the rise of uh, the current leader, Erdogan? Well, yes, uh, Rick, when I first went there, Turkey was the most popular tourist destination for Israelis. Uh, The southern resorts in particular along the Mediterranean were very, very popular. There were no incidents, no problems. Of course, Turkey's a member of NATO, and they had good relations with the U.S., etc., but Erdogan has become more and more orthodox in his uh, Islamic practice and has been talking openly about recreating the Ottoman Empire, has been meddling in North Africa, in Israel with the Palestinians, as I said, in the Gaza Strip, supporting Hamas, and cozying up to Iran as well. So, and of Of course, they were involved in the Syrian war, so there's been a lot of stuff going on, but the relations have definitely soured or definitely cold. They're still formally there, but just, and of course, this latest incident will probably kill all remaining Israeli tourism to Turkey. I'm sure people won't be eager to go there anymore. Well, the final thing I want to talk to you about, Dave, is a story that came out in the Jerusalem Post. And in a meeting in Oslo, Israel said they will not thwart the two-state program for peace with the Palestinians. What can you tell us about that meeting, and and, and how is that progressing? Well, yes, it takes place a couple times a month, actually, different groups and countries that are backing the Palestinians, or at least helping them financially, including, once again, the U.S. are involved in that. And the Israeli uh, Minister for Regional Cooperation, who is a a Muslim himself, a member of the, uh, an Arab and a Muslim, a member of the Merit's left-wing party, he made a statement that uh, we will continue to support the two-state solution as long as I'm around and as long as Yair Lapid is our foreign minister. Of course, those are centrist and left-wing parties that very much support that. Naftali Bennett is a lot cooler on a Palestinian state, that's for sure, and he is prime minister presently, but... This minister was just saying that the government overall is committed to this. But once again, Rick, it displays that there is really a split inside the Israeli government. And when push comes to shove, especially if the U.S. does announce the 
uh, reopening of a consulate for the Palestinians in Jerusalem, we may see that be the spark that sets the whole coalition on fire and brings the government down. Well, Dave, you know that we here at Prophecy Today, we look at current events and how they are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, and it seems like every one of the stories you talked about today is doing just that. Well, uh, it's moving in the direction that the Bible said it would, and we see the pieces increasingly falling into place, including Turkey's hostility. That's prophesied that they'd be part of the anti-Israel coalition in the last days. I mentioned Ethiopia, and now the Iranians are starting to arm them in their civil war. Uh, so everything's moving, but uh, the Lord's on his way back, and that's what we're looking forward to. Amen. Well, thank you for keeping our listeners informed, and we will talk to you again next week, Dave. Glad to do it, Rick. God bless. Well, we're going to have to take a break, and when we return, Sharam Hadian and Pastor Paul Blair, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. along with my brother Rick. We're carrying on the ministry of our father who for many years, actually 21 years, had done this program week after week trying to help the body of Christ to understand uh, and deal with issues that we're dealing with on a daily basis and examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word and dealing with other aspects. And one of our partners over the year has been Shram Hadian. Shram has a, he's got a great testimony and many of you have heard that testimony of how his family escaped out of Iran and uh, he's come, he's got a ministry. Shram, welcome to the, to the program today. Jimmy, thanks for having me on. It was always such a pleasure to be on with your dad, and mm. um, I'm, I'm grateful to be on with you guys. Thanks for carrying on the legacy. Thank you, thank you. And, and we just were just catching up. Uh, there's so much that has happened, and we're going to have Sharam back to talk about a new exciting adventure that he's got going uh, dealing with healthcare. Now, I know that piques your interest, but today, specifically, Sharam, I wanted to bring to light, and a lot of people, uh, some know, some don't know, Christianity Today has put out an article in light of the bomber, the bomb that took place in Liverpool with a conversion of a Muslim, uh, Iraqi Muslim, to Christianity, living in a Christian family, being a part of the Church of England. I just wanted to, knowing your ministry, give us your ministry website and then tell us about what are some of the things that we need to be aware of with migrants, uh, Muslim migrants coming into the country in our neighborhoods around the world. We want to evangelize them, but what do we need to be aware of? 
Well, first of all, the, the, our website is uh, tilproject.com, uh, T-I-L for Truth and Love Project. Dot com. And as you know, Jimmy, in our ministry, uh, being that I'm a former Muslim, we deal a lot with equipping the body of Christ to evangelism to Muslims, but we also deal a lot with exposing and teaching them about the ideology of Islam. And mm. in these last days that we are in, and we're seeing a rise of false religions, we're seeing a rise of, of things like ecumenicalism and interfaith. And, and I have you know, covered that with your dad many times in the past as mm-hmm. far as the dangers of interfaith and ecumenicalism. And we see this, this, this movement towards the one world religion now with uh, all of these um, streams coming together and Catholics and, mm. and, and, and uh, uh, Protestants and Muslims. And uh, let's all, you know, claim we're worshiping the same God. Right. One of the things that we very much um, equip believers here, because we are seeing a massive refugee resettlement now, of course, under Biden, they've picked up, you know, under Trump, things had slowed down, but now under Biden, they've picked up again, and, and, they're, and they're flowing into the West, into Western Europe, and into the United States. And unfortunately, this is where Christians do not understand Islam. The sad thing is, is that you have to vet someone. In light of the story out of Liverpool, you have to vet someone who claims to be a Christian. Muslims are allowed to lie. They're allowed to lie about many, many things. We, 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 the, the doctrine is called takia or kitman or maruna. Mm. They're allowed to alter their appearance. And as they are in the uh, West, as they're in the house of the unbelievers, mm-hmm. what they call the house of war, Dar al-Islam, uh, Dar al-Harb, I should say, the house of war, they're allowed to lie. And unfortunately, one of the things we're seeing now as a new tactic is that Muslims will come and tell Christians that they claim that they're open to Jesus and they're open to becoming a Christian. Now, of course, we don't want to dismiss this because we want to celebrate that they're truly open. Mm. But when you see a lot of the the mixture, you see a lot of this in missional practices where they come in and they say, well, you know, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Um, We believe Jesus, the Messiah. You'll heal these terms. But you have to be able to ask them, do you denounce Islam? This is one of the key questions that I will say to someone if they're witnessing to a Muslim and they believe a Muslim has come to accept Christ. Now, of mm. course, in the process of witnessing to them, we have to make sure that we don't get caught up in the interfaith movement, because that's where they will talk about, oh, well, you believe in Jesus, we believe in Jesus, or, uh, you know, we, we do believe Jesus is the Messiah. No, they, they clearly do not believe he's the Messiah, because they reject his, his deity, his, his, his crucifixion, his resurrection, mm-hmm. everything about Jesus, according to the Bible, Islam denies. But because of this lying aspect, it's very, very insidious. Uh, and of course, we know who the father of lies is. We, we know that Satan is the father of lies. And so Islam is a, an antichrist spirit. It denies everything about Christ. So as we, as we have a heart for Muslims, as we want to reach them, and we share the gospel with them. We have to tell them that in order for you to come to Christ, you call on the name of the Lord to be saved. But at the same time, you cannot continue to follow Islam. Mm. You have to make a choice, and that's what they're being taught. We have mission organizations, Jimmy, that are teaching Muslims, you know, you can believe in Jesus, but still follow your Islamic practices. Maybe if you want to go to the mosque, if you want to pray. No, what are we teaching them? The Spirit of God, (laughs) when he he called me out of Islam, he called me out of Islam. Mm -hmm. I clearly denounced and rejected all of Islam in order to come to Christ, and the question I would have had for that family in Liverpool that was 
this Muslim was living with, or the, for any person, um, is we have unfortunately seen false conversions. We have unfortunately seen those who are being deceptive. And you have to say to them, look, if you come to Christ, you have to denounce Islam. You, you have to walk away. And so how is it possible that if someone truly has the fruit of the Spirit in their hearts, uh, that they've gotten the Holy Spirit in them, how is it possible that then they would want to decide to go kill themselves and blow themselves up in an act of martyrdom, according to Islam? So you would have to question that conversion right. was not real, that there wasn't um, maybe—and and here's the other question, being that it's the Church of England, was that did they even properly share the gospel with them? Was mm. it— was it? Yeah. Um, a, a biblical gospel, or is it a social justice gospel? Is it a, a gospel of ecumenicalism, where if Muslims and Christians are talking and claiming that they have a common path and they believe the same things and they believe in the same Jesus? No, I, I have to tell the Muslim, as as the Lord, the Holy Spirit taught me, that what I believe was a lie. Christianity is a truth. There's only one way to God. There's no common path. There's mm. no common ground. And we have to ha- ask those tough questions. So in my experience, Jimmy, when, and, and, and I've actually, the Lord's used me several times to expose, to expose those yeah. who are claiming to be Christians. I've been contacted by people, wow. ministries. Hey, our church wants to support so-and-so. This guy's claiming to be a Christian now. Very and good. talked with those people. And I've been able to expose them to the Lord, to the discernment, by asking key questions. And number one question, number one question, do you denounce Muhammad as a false prophet? Do you denounce Islam as a false religion? You, if they're not willing to answer those questions after becoming a Christian, red flag, nice. red flag immediately mm-hmm. goes up. So while we have the heart to share Christ with them, while we have the heart to minister to them and share the gospel, making sure that it's the proper gospel, at, at the same time, unfortunately, now we do have to be on guard um, with this. Very good. Sharam, so in these days, and as we understand it, I do believe that uh, we do see the alignment of nations, uh, the common denominator of these nations in Ezekiel 38 and Daniel 11, Psalm 83, is that they're the Islamic world, they're Islamic nations, as they're coming against Israel at that point in time in the future. Do you see um, a more of a system, a worldwide system taking place that is, I mean, not only in Islam, but worldwide that is preparing for the Antichrist to come on the scene? Uh, without without doubt. I mean, even before the last 20 months or so with COVID and mm. with everything that's happened globally, I had been saying that, you know, Islam has a global order. They have a they have a world order. They call it their ummah. They, this is their caliphate. And your dad and I talked about that many times, that we're witnessing the convergence of these Islamic nations, uh, the, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation in the United Nations, largest body in the U.N., uh, 56 Muslim countries, and they throw in Palestine for 57. And I always joke that, you yeah. know, remember when Obama <laughs> was running, and he, he said, we have 57 states, and people are like, what? what? Where did that number come from? Well, maybe this is where it came from, right? Right. Is that his allegiance is to Islam. Interesting. But, but so we, we were talking about that even before. But now, now what we witnessed in the last almost two years is absolutely a convergence. I believe mm. Revelation 13 is happening before our very eyes. The one world government, one world economy, the Great Reset, the the shift towards uh, uh, you know removing 
uh, national sovereignty, going towards uh, globalism. And then on top of that, the, the movement towards the one world religion. Yeah. So I, I believe that the, the system now, and then now you have all of these, uh, the, the monitoring and the tracking of people by governments where yep. you can't buy or sell. Yep. I mean, it's already there. We're seeing, I think, the, the precursor to the mark in all these things, the preparation for controlling um, um, currency. So it's all digitalized. So you can't buy or sell without some sort of a track yep. mark. ID, whatever. Um, so I, I think we're right there. And I think as believers, we have to understand the days are drawing close. We have to be bold. We have to stand our ground. The Lord is uh, maintaining a remnant of his people who uh, have eyes to see what's going on. Amen. And uh, knowing that the Lord's coming soon, that this is absolutely preparing us for uh, the glorious uh, departure and, and, and our going home to be with the Lord in preparation for the Antichrist system, in preparation for the removal of the Holy Spirit from the earth. Uh, but we're still here, and we'll occupy till he takes us home. And, and And we still have to witness, and we still have to wake people up. And I wish that more churches were doing what your ministry is doing, which is to teach on Bible prophecy, is to teach and connect the dots. I mean, Ezekiel 38, like you said, Psalm 83, Afghanistan falls to the hands of China. Mm. Uh, you see Russia, uh, you see Turkey, you see the alignment of the geographical path that a, that a mighty army can march against Israel. Yep. It's already lining up. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's so I a, think we're absolutely there. We've got to prepare ourselves and make sure that we're not uh, deceived by any of the things that are going on. Shram, thank you so much. And we're going to have you back because you have an absolute miracle story about your wife giving birth during COVID. And uh, we're going to have you back to talk about that. But folks, please pray for Sharam Hadian and his family. He's on, uh, I mean, you talk about really being under attack by the Muslim world. Uh, he's He is going against them. And we have seen how the Muslim world reacts to anybody questioning Islam and uh, Muhammad and any of their the the beliefs that they have. So, uh, Shram, one more time, the website? Uh, TILproject.com for truth and love and the word project.com. Um, thanks, thank you again for having me on, Jimmy. What, what a blessing you, your family has been to us. Uh, thank you, Shram. Well, Rick, you've got a special friend of ours, Pastor Paul Blair. And we do have Pastor Paul Blair with us today. Pastor Paul Blair, he's former NFL a lineman who has been a pastor for close to 20 or over 20 years now at the Fairview Baptist Church in Oklahoma, and he's also the president of an organization called Reclaiming America for Christ. Paul, thank you for joining us today. Rick, always a pleasure. Love your dad, love the DeYoung family, and glad to be on with you. Well, thank you very much for those nice words. I have a couple of questions for you today. In your role as a pastor and with the uh, the Reclaiming America for Christ organization, yep. can you talk to us? And I know you, myself, we've spent yep. a little bit of time right. together, and I know you to be a great patriot, but a Christian first. Sure. So if you could tell me, what role are Christians to play in politics? And, and essentially, how do we balance out our patriotic side with our Christian side? Well, obviously, the Bible is the standard for all truth, and that was what was so unique about the United States of America, is we had that biblical worldview. And, you know, pastors, especially at that time, we've kind of lost touch with it now, Rick. You know, we have, uh, Christianity has adopted a form of, of American Gnosticism, I would say, where we have compartmentalized our lives. 
you know, we have certain subjects that we can talk about in church, but there are other subjects that we can't talk about in church. You know, so we have our spiritual box, which is really very small. We talk about our missions program and vacation Bible school and soul winning and Sunday school. And then we have our secular lives where we live the vast majority. Well, that's not biblical at all. You know, from a Hebraic worldview, as the Apostle Paul conveyed in his traveling through Asia and preaching the gospel, you know, whatever we do, we're to glorify God in it. And most pastors would recognize that, that God established three institutions on planet Earth. God established the home, God established the church, and God established this realm called civil government. And he had a specific purpose for civil government and limitations for the civil government. They're not supposed to do everything. So, you know, the, the idea that we can't talk about civil government in church when we say that God is the one who established civil government is a contradiction. You know, whatever we do, we should be approaching from a biblical perspective whether that be our business ethics, our work habits, uh, our relationships to our husbands or wives, how we raise our children, the biblical standard and limitations of, of, of human sexuality, and quite frankly, what the civil government was supposed to be there for, in contrast, in comparison to, and quite frankly, supplemental to, self-government, family government, church government, and then there's the role of civil government. Well, beginning with John Robinson's influence on the pilgrims that settled at Plymouth, you know, 400 years ago, you know, they had this idea of, of church from a small group, from the, from the membership up, uh, where they would, uh, you know, choose their own pastors and create a covenant, church covenant and church bylaws and church constitution, which governed and sanctioned that church. You know, that was very unusual from the top-down dictatorial government of England and the same structure of church government. So when the pilgrims landed off course in November of 1620, their patent that they had received from England was of no value, so they were really in a state of anarchy. But these men, being so heavily influenced by the, by the preaching of Pastor John Robinson, knew that they had no hope of, of, of existing in the new world, in this wilderness of the new world, without staying unified together. So on November the 11th of 1620, they drafted the Mayflower Compact, which was the first time ever in history a group of equals constituted a limited general government and then pledged to be governed by the law. Well, from that grew the influence on all the settlers that came into Massachusetts, and again, that local congregational form of church government is what bled over to how they formed their, their political systems. And, of course, you had Roger Williams that came out of that group, and he settled Rhode Island. And, you, know, you had Thomas Hooker being given the patent to settle Connecticut. You know, these men were all pastors, and they were also brilliant political leaders, and they didn't consider it a contradiction. They applied a biblical perspective or a biblical worldview to the proper role and limitations of, of civil government. So what we've enjoyed in America, you know, this American exceptionalism, where we all have the right to own property and buy and sell and trade, we all have the freedom to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the, uh, the dictates of, of the Holy Scripture as we read the Bible. And as a consequence of those truths, we've been able to enjoy liberty. And really, Rick, the only time in Christian history that we Christians haven't been persecuted for our faith. So what we have in America is unique, and it is an exceptional uh, country. 
but it's only because of that biblical foundation that our forefathers built this system on. And sadly, as we are getting away, as we are, we are leaving biblical truth and being drawn toward this postmodernistic world that's being taught in our schools and, and promoted in the secular media, you know, where we literally are coming apart at the seams at this very moment. Boy, Paul, I love talking to you because you are such a wealth of information. <laughs> and, and I think about, that's the reason my dad asked you to be uh, on our video, uh, in America in Bible Prophecy. Yep. And... Um, you know, there's 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 several parts to that video, but the first part was uh, when you and my dad were in Plymouth, and you were talking about the role that Christianity played. And, and now, as we get to the time of Thanksgiving, we can kind of rehearse that and realize, like you said, those principles that have allowed us so many great freedoms. Well, that group in, in Plymouth, I, I admire greatly. You know, there are certain areas in our history, and America is the greatest nation in world history, in my opinion. Of course, you've got old Israel, and of course, God's not done with Israel. I know what, you know, Brother Jimmy and I were, were in agreement largely in our eschatology, but, um, you know, America was, was so, we, we have been so blessed here in America, and there's three periods that I really love and admire. One is the pilgrims, uh, then that era from 1740 with the Great Awakening through our Declaration of Independence and winning that war to secure our independence. So from about 1740 to 1785, you had a group of men that were on their face before God, begging God to, to bless them and direct them. And then my parents' generation, the World War II generation, when you had a bunch of innocent farm boys living in Missouri and Arkansas and Oklahoma, and all of a sudden, you know, America gets attacked, and they read it in the newspaper on December the 8th, and they all go down and sign up and enlist and we go to war against two professional armies, one Imperial Japan and, and one, uh, you know, Hitler's Germany. And in three and a half years, we win. You know, those eras just amaze me. But uh, the, the pilgrims were truly a, a miraculous group. You know, they had religious liberty when they had fled England and went to Holland. But obviously, Holland wasn't ideal. It wasn't. It didn't suit them economically, as they were farmers generally, and they were now working in textiles in a big city. So they didn't really love where they were at. You know, the the uh, the grace that was extended to them and the religious liberty, uh, they weren't entirely happy with some of the secular influences on their children. So that wasn't ideal for them in in Leiden, Holland. And then uh, there were some other reasons, but they were looking to move. But the primary reason they came to America, and it's stated in the Mayflower Compact, and it's also stated in um, uh, William Bradford's uh, history uh, called of Plymouth Plantation. But the, one of the main reasons they chose to, to leave Holland and come and start over in the United and what we now know as the United States, was they wanted to evangelize the native population in North America. If Jesus is the only way to heaven, then it's important that the natives in North America need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the pilgrims were so genuine in their faith. I mean, they didn't just talk it on Sundays. They lived it in every facet of their lives. So their credibility among, with Massasoit and the Wampanoag Indians and all the others over here was so strong. They were such principled men and women of integrity that uh, the, the, the Wampanoag tribe embraced uh, the religion of the white man. In fact, um, you know, there's a, a, a little-known story. Sadly, our history books don't teach this anymore. Uh, 
but uh, there was a, a warrior named Habamak that was sent to keep an eye on Squanto, as Squanto was basically babysitting our pilgrim forefathers. And Habamak actually, you know, Squanto died in 1622, and Habamak continued to have a relationship with the pilgrims. He was so taken by the God of the white man that he became a Christian. In fact, he built a village next to Plymouth. So you had Habamak's village adjacent to Plymouth, and the Indians and the white men just they well, they went back and forth. As a matter of fact, uh, Winslow wrote in a in a an account that he had sent back to England that they felt safer walking amongst the Indians in their communities than they did walking the streets of England. So the influence on Christianity in that in the New World was amazing. Absolutely so, and in fact, this is such an appropriate time of the year to remember that as we are getting ready for Thanksgiving. On Prophecy Today, as you know, we deal with current events in the light of God's prophetic word, and sometimes the events that are taking place around the world can be satanic events, Mm -hmm. and so sometimes we deal with a lot of heavy issues and a lot of tough subjects, but I know at this time of the year, uh, as a pastor, you're preparing a message for Thanksgiving, and I just would like to know what you are preparing to tell your people um, as we come to this special time of the year. Well, this actually, Rick, is the 400th anniversary of the first Thanksgiving. You know, those pilgrims had endured 66 days at sea, below deck, on a small ship that was literally rocking back and forth from one side to the other. Uh, no privacy, no place to cook a hot meal. Uh, no privacy to go to the bathroom, the seasickness, the amazing uh, hardships that they endured just to land at Cape Cod in the middle of winter and with no Holiday Inn Express or Hampton Inn to greet them. Uh, they endured that first winter, and although they, 102 successfully crossed the North Atlantic, 47 died over the next four months. And they get through to March and uh, miraculously, they're still there. Uh, the Mayflower returns. Nobody goes back to England. And about the same day the Mayflower departed is when Samoset and Squanto come walking into camp on back-to-back days. You know, think about this. Here they are in the middle of North America, and all of a sudden you have an English-speaking Indian that loves white people and knows the ways of the white people that shows up in camp. And really, if not for Squanto, they never would have made it. Well, after that first year, they learned how to plant and how to harvest. God had blessed them, and it was obvious that they were going to make it. Coinciding with the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, the pilgrims had a feast thanking God and celebrating his provision over that year. And, of course, it was a difficult year when you consider the entirety of it, the trip, the loss of life, but here they were. They had established a home, and they'd been blessed with this first harvest. And they celebrated, and the Wampanoag, some 90 braves, along with their wives and children, came, and they ate deer and turkey and ate everything in sight and fellowshiped and shot guns and had foot races and wrestling matches. Three days of eating and fellowship, and that was the first Thanksgiving. But one thing I tell our people is Pastor John Robinson was the pastor of the pilgrims, and he mentored them and trained them and prepared them for this journey. And he, he gave them three parts of, points of advice before they took off, uh, leaving uh, Old England. He said, first of all, you guys are going to have some difficult times. Make sure your sin closet is empty. 
make sure you recognize that you're just going to experience some difficulties because they're difficult. Don't bring any additional obstacles on yourself because of your own disobedience. So stay prayed up, stay, keep your sin closet empty, and stay repentant of sin. Then the second thing he said was don't intentionally offend one another and don't be thin-skinned and be easily offended. Because going through times of stress, it is imperative that we stay unified as a church body. And that's what Paul says in Hebrews 10. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together uh, so we can encourage one another and provoke unto love and to good works. So Pastor Robinson, knowing how stressed they were going to be that next year, a uh, year and a half, two years, as they crossed the North Atlantic and settled in the New World, gave those three pieces of advice that was sage counsel to hold that church together. And quite frankly, it's applicable to us. And in a tough year where we're facing all these threats and we see the World Economic Forum doing their nonsense and uh, the, the, the fear of, of the virus spread and everything else, we're under a lot of pressure here now. We need to apply those same three instructions to our lives as Christians in our day, just as relevant for us today as they were in 1620. Such great advice. Thank you so much for being with us. I look forward to having you back again with us sometime soon. My pleasure, Rick. God bless you. Pastor Paul Blair, so very well spoken and versed on history, the early history of America. Well, we're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the Legacy Series, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., along with my brother, Rick. We're carrying on the ministry, and we're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you this week, and I hope that you have a great time uh, with your family as we celebrate Thanksgiving. Thank you. You as well, Jimmy, to you and your family. And as many of you know, and we touched on it earlier in the program, it's a bittersweet time because this is the first uh, Thanksgiving without our father, the late Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. And uh, he was, of course, long time behind this broadcast desk here. But I was just thinking, and about this legacy program in particular, recently I was reading through our devotions while doing a quiet time, our devotions at prophecytoday.com. And I was in a particular chapter, and I was able to match up the chapter that I was at with what Dad had taught. And I thought to myself as I was reading his devotions, this is the chance for Dad's legacy to live on. This is what Dad was all about. He was about teaching scripture. He was about teaching Bible prophecy. And he did that in his devotions. Um, but he also did it in this legacy series. And we're so happy and excited about airing this program. It's, it's, it's great to be able to listen to him. And he's really teaching some very important biblical principles about studying Bible prophecy and the books that relate to the three strands of the human family. This week, we begin with the book of Daniel, the times of the Gentiles. Now, what was going on just prior to the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the crown prince, his father was the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was given the responsibility of going out to try to defeat the Assyrians. You remember the Assyrians had defeated and taken into captivity the ten tribes in the north, which was known as Israel. And so as the crown prince, he led the army of the Babylonians, and he went up and he defeated the Assyrians. The Egyptians had come up this land bridge, which is known as Israel, 
came up to this location and tried to assist the Assyrians in defeating the Babylonians. Uh, But Nebuchadnezzar prevailed and he defeated not only the Assyrians, he started to push the Egyptians. They were retreating, going back into the Sinai and on back into Egypt and northern Africa. While this was all going on, his father died. And he was, the crown prince means you're the heir apparent, so he, he was made the king of Babylon. He hears this news, so he starts back up the Via Maris, which is the way of the sea. Uh, That's the travel route he was traveling. He got about to where we know Tel Aviv is today. It wasn't then. And he starts across making the quickest route that he can take over to Babylon. He comes through Jerusalem and he sees an unbelievably beautiful building. It's the temple that King Solomon had built as a first installment for the Davidic covenant that God said, I will let your son build a temple and then his kingdom will be set up forever. So he starts across, he comes into Jerusalem. He doesn't understand what's going on in this temple. He sees all these priests. He sees them sacrificing animals. He says, man, something's different than I've ever seen. And if I'm going to be the ruler of the world now, because he would then rule the entire known world as king of Babylon, He said, I've got to deal with this situation. So he took four young men, all from royal families there in Jerusalem. Daniel, what were their names? No, their names were Ananiah, Hazariah, and Mishael. When they got to Babylon, they were given ungodly names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ananiah, Hazariah, Mishael, and Daniel. They are taken into the Babylonian captivity. And this then begins chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. Before I get started, I'm going to go through the entire 12 chapters of the book to give you an overview of the book of Daniel. And let me tell you why. Remember, we talked about there were three members of the human family, Gentiles, Jews, and Christians. We focused on the Jewish people, but there are three members of the human family, Gentiles, Jews, and Christians. And each of these members of the human family has a timeline for that member of the family. The book of Daniel is a timeline for the Gentiles. It brings into existence what we know in prophetic terms used in the Bible, the times of the Gentiles. You remember in the Olivet Discourse, Luke chapter 21, verse 24, Jesus Christ said, and Jerusalem should be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. But this establishes the times of the Gentiles. There would be eight Gentile world powers. Revelation chapter 17 tells us that. Remember, he says, there have been five. Now, who were the five? The Egyptian, the Assyrian, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, and the Grecian. There is one now, the sixth, the Roman Empire... That's what was in power when John the Revelator wrote the book. There will be a seventh. That will be the revived Roman Empire. And then out of the seventh will come the eighth. He will be a part of the seventh. And that's talking about the rule and reign of the Gentile world leader known as the Antichrist. And so it is that this begins basically the times of the Gentiles when Daniel and his buddies are taken into captivity. And Daniel is a timeline of how that is going to unfold. We'll look at the book of Ezekiel. That's a timeline for the Jewish people. 
And then we'll look at the book of Revelation, which is a timeline for the Christian people. If you're going to know what God is doing, unlock his plans for the future. You've got to look at the three members of the human family. Watch each of these members of the human family. See where they are on the timeline that God gave these ancient Jewish prophets. And then you can make some determination as to what's going to happen in the future. Now, of course, I'm just not wanting you to know this for that knowledge. I'm wanting you to know it. I want to know it. For the purpose of appropriating these truths and then living in light of this whole thing. Let me just show you an interesting phrase here in Daniel chapter 10. What happened in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel wanted to know more about what God was giving him. And in this time, he prayed and actually fasted for a three-week, 21-day period of time. When I believe the heavenly visitor that was sent, Jesus Christ, came to him... He comes and he says a very interesting thing unto Daniel. Look here at verse 12. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thy heart to understand. To understand what God's going to do. We need to understand. Daniel set the example. We must understand, and God has graciously given us the word of God to understand the times in which we're living. In fact, back in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2, Daniel reading the book of Jeremiah was to determine where he was in God's time. And Daniel, who never had one negative statement made about him, what did he do once he understood where he was? See, Jeremiah, he was reading chapter 25 verse 11, chapter 29 verse 10, where it says Jerusalem shall be in desolation for a 70-year period of time. Daniel was taken out of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon when he was 15 years old. At that time, he was 85 years old when he was reading Jeremiah for his quiet time. And he was able to subtract. Hey, subtract 15 from 85, that's 70. Man, we are now at that time when everybody's going to be going back to Jerusalem. So what did Daniel do? He had the knowledge. He set his heart to understand But he fell on his knees. He fell on his face. He confessed his sins. Nothing is ever negative stated about him. Yet Daniel fell upon his knees. That's what it says here. Jesus said to him, since you set your heart to understand. Now notice the second phrase and the second purpose for studying Bible prophecy. To chasten thyself before thy God. I've been teaching prophecy. And as I teach prophecy... I overlap with some of the things I say. I could read every book of the Bible. For example, I'm going to be talking about Babylon. The word Babylon is used 292 times in the scriptures. It's used in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Michael in the Old Testament. It's used in Matthew, Acts, 1 Peter, and Revelation in the New Testament. So if I'm going to teach the Bible, I'm going to overlap. But may I just say something? I don't see the world changing. If you understand the times in which we're living, there ought to be some change. And that's what Daniel is told by Jesus. You've set your heart to understand, but then to chasten yourself. That's the whole purpose for studying Bible prophecy. That's the whole purpose for understanding God's plan for the future. Not just so you can go away and brag about the knowledge you have. That's not why I want to teach it. I didn't come here to teach that purpose For studying Bible prophecy. I don't study Bible prophecy myself for that purpose. I want to stay pure. What did Paul say to Titus? He said, Titus, lay aside ungodliness and worldly lust. Titus chapter 2. 
Live soberly, godly, and righteously. I can almost hear Titus say to Paul, Paul, how do I lay aside that which is wrong? How do I live that which is right? Paul answered immediately, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. He that hath, I told you the other day, he that hath this hope within him purifying himself. So please forgive me if I am redundant in some of the things, but as you take the scriptures and open them, you see these things over and over. I believe I need to be reminded of them. Possibly you do too, so that we go out in this world and live in light of that. As I travel from church to church, and I don't know your church. I don't know if I've ever been in any of your churches. But as I travel church to church, I don't see a real understanding of the coming of the Lord. I don't see it in their service. I see the pastors having services at 8 o'clock in the morning. Why in the world do you have a service at 8 o'clock in the morning, pastor? Oh, my people like to pay golf on Sunday afternoon. I'm not against golf. But I don't think you arrange your study of the Word of God so you can go out and play a golf game. I don't believe that is the right priority. Not if we understand Jesus Christ is coming again. And when I see some of the attire, I see some of the attire on women and their husbands and their fathers allowing them to dress like that. Folks, I don't see the purity like I see in Daniel. Falling upon his face and saying, I'm sorry. I confess my sins. I confess the sins of my people. That's what Bible prophecy is all about. And so if I can continue to remind you of where it is. Daniel. Let me tell you about Daniel. Daniel, it is a specific plan of God laid out in his book. If you have a piece of paper and a pencil, jot down the way you read through Daniel. You do not read. There's 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. You do not read through them numerically. Chapters 1 through chapter 12. That's not how the way you read the book of Daniel. You read the book of Daniel this way. Here are the chapter orders. One, two, three, four, seven, eight, five, six, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. Did you get that? If you're going to study Daniel, let me give it to you again. One, two, three, four, seven, eight, five, six, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. Now, why is that the case? Look over here at chapter five, just a moment. Chapter five of the book of Daniel. Chapter 5 is the record of the destruction of the Babylonian Empire by the Medo-Persian Empire. Look here in verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar, I believe he was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, who was now the leader of the Babylonian Empire. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Okay, that's chapter 5. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, chapter 8, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. I think it's pretty hard to be killed one day and then to start reigning as the king of Babylon days later and for the next three years. So that's why you read in that order. 1, 2, 3, 4, 7, 8, 5, 6, 9, 10, 11, and 12. There are a number of chapters in the book of Daniel that are practical. And there are four main chapters that are prophetic. A number of chapters practical and a number of chapters that are prophetic. As you stop to reflect on our study of Daniel today, please remember that Daniel chapter 10 verse 12 says there are two reasons for studying Bible prophecy. 
We, as Daniel, must set our hearts to understand the times in which we're living. And as we understand these times, according to the end-of-time scenario that can be found in Bible prophecy, we must chasten our hearts and determine to live pure lives as we await the shout by Jesus Christ to join him in the heavens at the rapture. By the way, the rapture could happen even today. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the Legacy Series. This is an exciting series that we've started, and uh, I'm so very happy that we can listen to it as we will continue to examine the three prophetic books of the Bible, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation. In the month of December, we'll be taking a break so that we can look at the birthplace of Jesus Christ from the book of Micah, Migdal Adar, the Tower of the Flock. That's all ahead in the month of December, and we hope that you will join with us during that time. We've got to take a break, and when we come back, Rick and I will take a look at all the events that we have covered today, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Britain delivers a fresh blow to Lebanon, advising against all but essential travel to the crisis-worn nation. Last week, a United Nations envoy described Lebanon as a rapidly failing state. Pierre Hosni with Horizons International says Lebanese Christians feel the pinch as much as everyone else. As Horizons visits homes and refugee camps, most meet someone open to the love of Jesus. So even as Lebanon's government fails its people, pray the church would grow. And India opened its borders to vaccinated tourists this week after 18 months of closure. The Indian government hopes it'll boost the economy after COVID-19 stress. John Podaiti says Bibles for the World looks forward to traveling more freely in the country and reconnecting with its partners. He's visited India since the pandemic began, but restrictions make work difficult. Now, he's hoping to wrap up deliveries of Bibles, New Testaments, and Gospels of John around the country. Pray for opportunity. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., along with my brother Rick. This is the time of the program that we take a look at the book. We're really examining all the current events that we've talked about today, and we're seeing how and where they fit into Bible prophecy or into the Scriptures. What did you think about today's program? I mean, I thought our broadcast partners brought a lot to the table. Certainly so, and I loved uh, the fact that we had uh, a Pastor Blair on, especially because uh, during this Thanksgiving time, it's great to hear from him. But even before him, we look at some of the uh, stories that were coming out, and I know one that stood out to me, and we haven't really covered them recently, but it seems Russia reemerging in Europe 
and in the Middle East and planning on playing a larger role. So we know that Russia has a role in Bible prophecy. Yes, Ken Timmerman talked about that. And, you know, when we take a look at the events that took place in the last week and we're focusing on those, Russia does play a major role. When we look at Ezekiel chapter 38, it talks about Gog and Magog. Gog is a personality. And at this very moment, I would have to say Gog would at least be Vladimir Putin, the leader of Magog, which that would be modern day Russia. So when we focus on that and we see how Vladimir Putin is leading Russia to encroach upon Europe, not only the borders of Europe, bringing and massing troops with Ukraine and Belarus and of Georgia, uh, those countries that they occupy. He is going to encroach upon the European Union and a leader that will come out of the revived Roman Empire, which the European Union is at least the infrastructure for, will do battle against these nations, the alignment of nations in Ezekiel 38. Daniel 11 and Psalm 83, which the conclusion of that is those nations go against Israel, but the Antichrist, his role was to protect Israel. It's God that will get the credit from that. We learned that from Ezekiel 38 and 39. So yeah, I love the interview and the information that we get from Ken Timmerman. And continuing on, you know, that also part of that prophetic scripture there is Turkey. And we've certainly hearing Turkey in the news mm-hmm. more lately. And, and just talking with Dave Dolan, we look at the, 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 the way the relationship with Turkey has progressed over the last several years. And we see their deterioration of their relationship with Israel. That seems to be a domino falling in place as well. Yes. Uh, and over the last couple of years, Tayyip Erdogan is trying to reestablish the caliphate to be the pan-Islamic leader. And certainly he is making the moves. We're reminded again about Revelation chapter 17 and that God uses world leaders to accomplish his will. And these leaders are moving even, you know, when you look at Turkey, Russia, the European Union, and even the United States. And certainly we see how we are moving in that direction. Great to hear from Sharam Hadian. Very interesting man, full of knowledge. And uh, we can't look at that end times without looking at that Muslim world and the coalition that's going to come together against Israel in the last days. Yes. You know, when I the reason I brought Sharam on today is because I do know that uh, today as believers and he talked about, you know, when you uh, bring someone and you're converting someone, it's not just a Muslim or a Buddhist or somebody that's an atheist or just doesn't care about Christianity or what God has established in order for man to get to heaven, which was through Jesus Christ. John three sixteen. God sent his only begotten son that we might all, that anybody who believes in him would have eternal life. So Sharam was there today to not only to tell us to be very careful, but how to uh, really to figure out and understand that converts that come that come to Christianity. Look, Satan is very wise in his plan and what he does, and he can he's a deceiver. He can deceive even the very elect. And we need to be very careful today in the world in which we're living. And it's very important to really to remember the keys to salvation, to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior and to realize that he died for your sins. Finally, Jim, that last interview with uh, Pastor Paul Blair, and he's 
such a wealth of knowledge. I could listen to him all day. He gives me something new every time I hear him. But one of the things that stood out to me is he kept on going back to the fact that we need, no matter where we feel as as Americans, as patriots, as Christians, we need to have a proper biblical worldview, a proper biblical perspective, and base everything and all of our decisions, politically or whatever, based on our biblical worldview. You know, you're you're right. And I love that story he told at the end when he talked about Pastor John Robinson, and he gave three things. Pastor John Robinson said to keep your sin closet empty, you know, and this is what the information, these three things, that points of advice that he gave when they left England as they sailed across the Atlantic Ocean, they, they settled before they had the first Thanksgiving, really. He gave them points as they left for that journey. And he said, look, don't bring more on yourself than you need to. Make sure that your sin closet is empty. He also said, don't be easily offended because you're going to go through times of stress and it's imperative that you stay unified as a church body. Just as Paul said in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together so we can encourage one another and provoke unto love and good works. So Pastor Robinson, knowing how stressed they were going to be, gave these three pieces of advice. Quite frankly, it's applicable for us today in a tough year where we're facing all these threats and and everything that we see is really leading up to the rapture of the church. It certainly is. It reminds me of that illustration that dad used to tell, and I'll probably um, not do it justice, but it's appropriate for this time of the year. And he told a story of one time he and mom were driving through Gatlinburg and it was early November and the Christmas decorations were everywhere. And mom looked at those Christmas decorations And she said, boy, I can't wait for Thanksgiving. And dad said, what in the world? Why are you saying Thanksgiving? These are Christmas decorations. And mom said, well, you know what? When I see these Christmas decorations, I realize that Thanksgiving is just around the corner and I get to be with the family. That's what we're doing here. We see these things taking place, but we know that the rapture of the church has to take place first. So as we see these pieces coming into position, we realize how close we are to the rapture of the church. That's a great story. And it is so true. When we look at God's word, we understand as Daniel did the times in which we are living. And that's why Bible prophecy is very profitable for our lives to help us to stay the course, to run that race, to press toward the prize for the mark of the high calling. And we sure thank you for being with us today and examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. You know, with everything that we've seen, Rick, There's nothing else for us to say except let's keep looking up until the rapture of the church takes place. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee. (music) 